You know, I, I think I'm, I speak for the rest of the guys that preach up here. We love preaching to this church. I mean, it's great to preach to a church that is serious about the Word of God. And uh, so it's really a joy and it's a, a privilege for me to be here and open up God's Word to you. So let's pray. Lord, I need your help, and we all need your help in hearing your word. Lord, thank you that you are eager to break into our lives. Lord, if you, if you hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't have new life in Christ. So thank you for that, and thank you for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the series, it's called uh, Chariots of Fire, God Breaking In. To our lives and so far we've seen how God has broken into um, a king's life like King Ahab and last week Eric talked about God breaking into the life of just a poor widow so there's just like a spectrum there it's amazing God Almighty breaks into our lives and today we're going to be talking about how he breaks into the life of this unnamed Shunammite woman she's from Shunam Anybody been to Shunem? <laughs> you know, Sh this town of Shunem, it's only named once in the Bible, and it's in this, in this section of scripture. Um, and this woman in this obscure city, God has broken into her life. She lived about 2,800 years ago, and yet we today, we have something to learn from her. And I mean, I've already learned so much, just I feel like I know her, and I've learned so much already. It's, it's quite an amazing story. It's a little lengthy portion of scripture, so I'm just going to summarize it first, and then uh, we'll get into some of the, some of the actual scripture. But uh, she's described as a prominent woman, wealthy, influential, living in Shunem uh, with her husband. So she has no children. And she notices Elisha coming through town. And so she begins to invite him in for dinner and on a kind of a regular basis. And then um, she talks to her husband and she says, you know, I sense that he is a man of God. And why don't we build a room uh, on actually on the roof of our house and you go to Ikea and get some furniture and you put it together. You know, you see those Ikea commercials. I can't resist this. <laughs> You see how happy they are in the commercials and everything? Take a picture of them three hours later. <laughs> anyway, they furnished the room, and um, so Elisha and his servant uh, one day are staying there, and um, Elisha says to the servant, you know, what favor can we do for this lady? She's been so nice to us. And so Gehazi is the name of the servant. He goes and asks the woman, and he comes back and he says to Elijah, she doesn't really seem to need anything, but I have noticed that her husband is old and she has no son. So Elisha calls the woman and says to her, at this time next year, you're going to be embracing your own son. And it's interesting how she reacts to that. Because, um, you know, back then for a woman to not have children, First of all, they needed children to care for them in their old age, number one. Number two, having children was a blessing and seen as a blessing from God. So to not have children, it just had kind of a negative connotation. 
Um, and she pushes back. She says, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. Now just notice, she didn't say, I don't want a son. But she just said, oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. Anyway, a year later, she had the baby boy. Somewhere along, somewhere during the time of maybe him being between five and eight years old, he got sick and he died in her lap. She was holding him and he died in her lap. So she put the child in the prophet's room and laid the child in, in the prophet's bed. And she told her husband, get me a donkey and a servant. I got to go to Mount Carmel where Elisha is right now, which is about a three hour donkey ride. And I got to go get the man of God and come back. So she goes to get the man of God. And when she's there, she falls at his feet and just pours out her grief. So Elisha says to his servant, take my staff and go to the child and lay the staff on the child's face. So he goes and does that. And while he's doing that, the Shunammite woman says to Elisha, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And what she's saying basically is, I am not leaving you until you come back home with me. So Elisha decides to come back home with her and they meet Gehazi on the way. And he says, I did what you directed and the child has not awakened. So Elisha gets there, he goes into the room, closes the door, prays, gets up on the child, the child becomes warm, he gets back down, he prays some more, gets back up on the child, the child sneezes seven times, then his eyes open, he comes to life. So Elisha says to Gehaz, I call the woman, she comes in, bows at her, his feet, and then takes her living child home. Now, I'm going to say what every one of you is thinking right now. The way Elisha healed that boy was weird. <laughs> and by the way, if you ever do come up here for healing, <laughs> we're not going to do that unless God tells us to, because we're not going to argue with God. Anyway, you know, you, you come across stuff like that in the Bible, um, especially the Old Testament. It's, there's weird, otherworldly, spectacular, hard-to-believe stories. And it's okay, to question, it's okay to question those things as long as we're questioning with an attitude of trust instead of an attitude of suspicion. When you, when you question with an attitude of trust, you... Uh, it causes you to kind of get, if you, if you take the effort to do this, but search, try and find answers to your questions. It really causes you to get to know the Bible and the God of the Bible in a whole new way. You might not get all the answers to the questions you're looking for, but I believe you'll grow in your relationship with God. So, so, so do that, really. It's a, it's a great, great exercise. And God doesn't expect us to just, um, you, know, you know, he wants us to use our mind, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're going to take a close look at the Shumanite woman and see how she had an enduring faith, even through one of life's hardest trials. I'll never forget something that James Dobson said. He said, we all go through life as if, uh, like, in a bubble, a thin bubble. 
and at any minute that bubble can break and tragedy will rush into our life in an instant. Now, I don't go around and I don't want you to go around thinking when's that gonna happen, because the odds are it won't happen. But if it does, we wanna be as prepared as possible, because you, you, you don't know if God calls you to walk through a hard trial. And we wanna be as prepared as possible. So I have five points that we can learn from the Shumanite woman on how to have an enduring faith. First one is, put yourself in the pathway of God's grace. Right, so that's what she did. She said, man, let's, let's have this uh, prophet live at our house. Let's host him. Because you see, back then, the power and ministry of God, the power and presence of God was embodied in the life and ministry of the prophets. And so to be near the prophet was to be near God and to be near where God was moving. So she said, you know what? I want to be near God. I'm going to, let's, let's host him. Now, that wasn't a popular thing to do. You know, Israel at that time was in a free fall of sin and idolatry. And there was a certain portion of the population that hated the prophets. Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, uh, not the disciples, but the Pharisees, he said, your ancestors murdered the prophets. So this was not generally a popular thing for this woman to do. But you know, she felt like this might cost me something, but I'm gonna do it because I wanna be near God. So what do we learn from this? We learn that if we wanna grow in our faith, we put ourselves in the pathway of God's grace. In other words, we wanna be where God is. So where is God today? Well, in, I mean, in, in general, we, we know he's everywhere, but where do we go to put ourselves in God's grace? Well, there's primary three places, and you, you've probably guessed them. We meet God in prayer, we meet God in his word, and we meet God in the community of believers in the local church. We pattern this after the first church in Acts 2.42. It said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, that's four things, but some scholars believe that the fellowship and the breaking of bread was kind of one term. But fellowship, prayer, break, uh, and the word, the, the apostles' teaching. And you have to have all three of those. You know, if there's somebody that is not committed to a local church, doesn't have a local church, and they pray and they read their Bible, um, I, I will question if they say, say something like they have a word of the Lord or, you know, I mean, I actually have a friend and he said, you know, I feel like I have a word for the church. Um, I said, but you're not even committed to a church. And I, I said, I, I'm just gonna tell you flat out, I wouldn't trust you. I, I wouldn't trust anybody that's not committed to a local church. So you have to have three. And these people were devoted. Acts 2.42 says they were devoted. I mean, they weren't just showing up. I mean, they took ownership in that church. I mean, they, they served, they encouraged one another, they you know, spoke the truth to one another. So if we wanna be near God, if we wanna be in the pathway of God's grace, uh, be where God is. Number two, faith requires a step into the unknown that is uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, so 2 Kings 2.14, what then can be done for her, Elisha asked. 
Gehazi says, well, she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. One version says she cried that. She had very strong feelings about that, of kind of pushing back. Uh, you would think that would be the best news in the world for her. And yet she had this odd reaction. And again, like I say, she didn't say, I don't want a child. She, uh, she didn't even get to that point. She just had this reaction. Proverbs 30, 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you know, God has already directed our attention to hope this morning and having hope. I don't know what her problem was. We don't know specifically. We're not told. But it could have had something to do with maybe she had a child that died that was not stated here. Maybe she's had several miscarriages. I, I know many of you had a miscarriage, and it's, it's um, hard. It's a hard one, right? Um, but God was asking her to trust, trust him in an uncomfortable area where maybe she had been hurt or disappointed. I believe the lesson here for us is similar. God calls us to experience him in a deeper way by stepping out of our comfort zone. Now, I hesitate to use the word comfort zone because it's so overused and, um, and it has many different applications. But uh, my wife shared with me this book, and in this book, it, it, it had the term that was similar to um, your comfort zone. You know, your comfort zone is your area where you control, and, and um, this woman called it the self-life. The self-life. The self-life is the life that we control. It only has self in mind. So there's no risks, there's no surprises, everything is in our control. Yet if we are not careful, the self-life can actually control us and hold us back from entering where God is calling us. If we want to grow in faith, and I assume most of us do because you're here, then it will require stepping out of your self-life. It'll be inconvenient and it may cost something, but, but on the other side is a life of faith where God is breaking into your life like you've seen him never before. Our friend the Shunammite woman started this journey of faith with God asking her to step out of her self-life. And it was necessary for her to do so in order to grow in faith. Number three. In order, to, in order for faith to be strengthened, it must be tested. In 2 Kings 4, 18 through 20, when the child had grown, he went to his father among the reapers, and he said to father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to the servant, carry him to his mother. By the way, dads, don't be that dad. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say about him. <laughs> And when he had lifted him and brought, when the servant had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon and then died. I mean, how do you react when your circumstances don't line up with how you feel God leading? 
I mean, how, how opposite were her circumstances now than before? I want to share a little personal story. I've been encouraged to do this. Shirley and I moved to Maryland in 1988. We just felt like God was leading us to move here. We were part of a good church, but just felt like we weren't growing anymore. We were very familiar with Covenant Life Church. Um, and we just felt like we want to be in that community. We feel like it would, we'd really grow in our faith. And um, so it was like a two-year process, but we moved. I put my house on the market, and um, uh, it didn't sell. You know, so people would say, oh, well, you know, if, if your house sells, then you know it's God's will. And we felt like, no, you know, we prayed a lot about this. It was like a two-year process. And um, we felt like, no, God is leading us to move. And so we rented the house out, and we rented a house here. The plan originally was to sell our house and with the proceeds buy a house here. Um, but we just felt like we're not going to let those kind of outside conditions um, hinder what we felt God leading us to do. So we moved, and things continued to not work out. The first tenant we got in there, um, I got first month's rent and the security plot deposit, but then they didn't pay the rent for three months. So I had to go, I had to evict them. So I had to drive up to New Jersey to the court, and uh, the woman met me outside the courtroom and said, oh, please, Mr. Giulio, don't evict us. I mean, how would you like to be in that situation? I said, I I'm sorry. You know, the rent was just covering the mortgage payment. And um, if I let her stay there, I would lose the house. You know, I just, I couldn't do that. Um, the next tenant we got in there, they always paid the rent one month late. And I just never knew if I was going to get the rent and that would come. And then their daughter got brain cancer. So it's kind of like, how can I call them up and say, hey, where's my rent check? You know, it's just, it's just one thing after another. But um, I'm going to finish this story in a few minutes. So stand by. <laughs> this lady's child got sick and died in her lap. I mean, my problem is nowhere near what this lady went through. One minute you're holding your sick child in your lap, praying he'll get better. The next minute, he's dead. And it's this time her faith was tested. Think of the questions she would be asking to herself. What did I do wrong? Why is God punishing me? Did God give me this child just to take it? Now listen, some of you, I don't know, but if you have had the tragic experience of losing a child, I can't begin to imagine your pain and what you've been through. And I don't want you to get from this message that it's an easy road out of your grief. I know, I know it isn't. I just know that God is near the brokenhearted and he, and he can be near you. But other of us, others of us have had heartbreaking, hope-crushing, painful experiences. And it's at these times that our faith is tested. And you know, all the superficial stuff of life is just pushed out of the way and we're just, we're just forced to think about what, what do I believe and why do I believe it? And how can I apply it now to my situation? James 1.3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God is bringing you through tests because he wants to produce 
steadfastness in your life. If we are tempted to give up on Jesus during these times, it could be because we have a faulty foundation of faith. And I call, I call this period that I went through, I went through what's called a foundation check. You know, when you see a house and the house is tilting, the problem is not what you see, it's what you don't see, it's the foundation. The foundation is faulty. And during that time, I felt like Jesus took me down to the foundation of my life and he took a flashlight and he shone it on the foundation wall. And he said, look there, there's some bricks missing over there. We're gonna fix that. And look over there, there's a piece of wood holding up the house instead of the foundation. We're gonna take that out, we're gonna fix that. And look over there, there's, that wall is leaning over. It's gonna be a lot of work, but we're gonna fix that. And that's what Jesus walked through with me. And we, and, and we did that. And you know, when you go through that process, there's some things that you take out of your belief system because you, you, you realize it was faulty, it was erroneous, and you take that out. And then there's things that you put back in that Jesus is teaching you, and you put those back in. And you emerge, you emerge from that experience stronger, you emerge from that with a more enduring faith but it wouldn't happen without that painful experience. And I, I am grateful for what happened. I tell people, and I'll get to it, but it was the most challenging three years of our lives, but it was the, one of the most rewarding. Our Shumanite woman was being tested. What did she do? Point number four. When your faith is being tested and you are wavering, go back to the last time you felt confident in God's leading and in God's voice. Second Kings 4, 21 and 22, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called her husband and said, send me one of the donkeys and one of the servants that I may quickly, that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back. She knew what she had to do immediately. She knew she had to be near God and the only way to be near God was to be near the man of God. So she went back to the man of God quickly. She knew that by faith, her only hope and consolation was get to God. And that is our only hope, go to God. How many computer people in here know what the term last known good is? Does anybody know what that is? Okay, great, yeah, my, my brother, is a um, computer guy. I'm gonna read it to you. The last known good is a feature of Microsoft Windows operating system that allows users to revert their computer state back to a previous state without affecting user data. This is useful when the computer begins to malfunction due to any reason, such as a recent installation or a bad software update. This woman went back to God. She knew she had to get back to God. And I believe our, the lesson here for us is when you're going through a trial and you're wavering, go back to the last time you felt confident in the word of the Lord. Because that's where, um, that doesn't change, right? We go through experiences and we, we change, but if we can go back to the last time we felt God speak, that will get us through. 
That is what got us through our period during that time. We would go back and say, no, we, we prayed about this. We got counsel from our, you know, people in our local church. We knew it was the right thing to do, and we're going to stick it out. And by God's grace, um, things began to happen. You know, I finally, the house, like I said, I, I got I to sell this house, but it's hard to sell a house with tenants in it. So I thought, okay, well, I can empty it and clean it all out and everything, but then I got to carry, like, the mortgage there plus my rent, which I was just barely paying my bills here. And we, we just felt like God say, just empty the house, clean it, get it ready to show, and just sell it. Well, we did that, and it took five months. And I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know how we got through that period, but we did. But when we finally sold the house, the market had gone down so bad that we were underwater. And I had to borrow $5,000 and send it up to the lawyer to close the deal. So there goes my dream of taking the proceeds of that house and buying a house here. But by then, God had already done a work in here. He already set me free from having my security in my home and showed me of his faithfulness. You know, um, there's a time when we were pretty low on cash and um, we visited some friends on uh, on Saturday night and we were driving home it was me and my me and Shirley and the kids and um, it's 9 30 at night on a Saturday night and we normally drive through this parking lot of a shopping center to take a little shortcut and uh, we're driving through it's dark out it's kind of in the winter it's cold nobody's around everything's closed and we're driving along and all of a sudden we see these dollar bills blowing in the wind in the headlights of the van and um, I said what <laughs> this is no lie we, we stopped the car me and the kids get out right Carrie <laughs> we stopped picking up bills and it, it amounted to like $28, but <laughs> I'm looking around like, all right, somebody just dropped this and the wind blew it. Where, you know, there's nobody around. I mean, I, you know, there's no cars in the parking lot. And so we told our friends when we got home that night, and they said, well, maybe, um, maybe God's just going to show you that he's going to provide. We go, we go to church the next morning and, um, you know, we... Back then, we take a break right before the preaching, like a five-minute break, walk around, say hi to people. I go back and sit in my chair and pick up my Bible and open it up, and there's an envelope with $1,200 in it. The following week, same thing, an envelope with $800 in it. And we, we didn't tell anybody about this except our friends, but they were poor also, so I know it wasn't them. <laughs> um, I can go on and on, but the thing is, it was, it's what God was working in our hearts that is imperishable. So um, this is a quote from another book that Shirley has. If anybody needs a good book to read, see Shirley. She's got all the good books. This is a quote by a lady named Lilius Trotter. From, she lived in the 1800s. Take the very hardest thing in your life, the place of difficulty, outward or inward, and expect God to triumph gloriously in that very spot. It, it's God that does it. Look, he, you know, he allowed us to go through these experiences, but it's God that does it. 
point five, I'm going to move quick. When am I supposed to end? Okay. <laughs> point five, she had a lamenting but focused, persistent faith. And when she came to the mountain of the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She was lamenting, but she was lamenting before God, and she was lamenting with faith. Because when she got to the man of God, uh, it, it was at that point when she said that, that Elisha said to his servant Gehazi, take my staff and go to the child and lay the, lay the staff on the child's face. And, um, and then she said, and she said the same words that Elisha, that Elijah said to Elisha when he, right before he was taken up in the chariots of fire, remember? He kept saying to Elisha, you stay here, I'm gonna go to Gilgal. And Elisha would say, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And now she says that to Elisha. And Elisha thought, I think I better go with her. And he went with her, and she got her miracle. Even the short period of tragic loss brought about by something, brought about something not only good and miraculous, but life-changing. She experienced the power of God of seeing her son raised from the dead, but it took a painful experience to get there. This is something I learned from a message Eric preached a while ago, but he said there's two kinds of good. There's the outward good. It's the things in life, like your child being restored. Can't be, that's about the second best thing that can happen. And, or material things, when God provided that money for us, that was good. But that's one kind of good, but there's a better kind of good. It's the good that God works in our hearts that brings us into a deeper, level of relationship with him that often only comes about through painful experiences. I mean, that's what I learned. Yeah, God, you know, began to bless my business and all that, but that's, um, that fades in comparison to how God walked with us every day of that trial. I want to end with a story by Randall Cunningham. He was an NFL quarterback in the 1990s. He was on top of the football world. He was breaking records. Sportscasters are saying he's gonna be the greatest of all time. He was also a believer and his faith began to grow. And he, while, even while he was playing football, he started a Bible study in his home. And this Bible study started to grow. And he retired in 2001 and the, the Bible study became a church. It's out in Las Vegas, it's called The Remnant. And it still exists today. He's still pastoring that church today. Well, in the early 2000s, um, he had his own trial. He had a couple of children. The youngest was a two-year-old boy, and that boy drowned in the family swimming pool. But he had an enduring faith. Now, he went through his, he grieved, um, and, and that is completely, um, proper and in, in place. God doesn't expect us not to grieve. There's a time for grieving. 
And they, and they moved on and he continued pastoring. And now he baptizes people in the pool that his son drowned in. I mean, that story gives fresh meaning to the words, you give beauty for ashes, you turn graves into gardens, you're the only one who can. He's the only one who can. Let's pray. Lord, some of us are going through that painful process right now. There are those who have guarded their hearts so much because of someone else's sin, and they can't give or receive love right now. Lord, there are those of us who have tried to control our lives so much that it is controlling us to the point where we have shut you out. Lord, and there are those of us who our faith right now is wavering. Lord, I pray that your presence and your power would come upon us in a way that heals us. Lord, please set us free right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.